please open in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. And I'm going to read the whole chapter. Isaiah 66. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is this house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. He who slaughters an ox is like one who kills a man. He who sacrifices a lamb like one who breaks a dog's neck. He who presents a grain offering like one who offers pig's blood. He who makes a memorial offering of frankincense like one who blesses an idol. These have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh punishment for them and bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen. But they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word. Your brothers who hate you and cast cast you out for for my name's sake have said, Let the Lord be glorified that we may see your joy. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, she delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her. All you who love her, rejoice with her in joy. All you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will extend peace to her like a river and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream and you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. For behold, the Lord will come in fire, and his chariots like the whirlwind, to render his anger in fury, and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by his sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many." Those who sanctify and purify themselves to go into the gardens, following one in the midst, following pig's flesh and the abomination and mice, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. 
For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and shall see my glory, and I will set a sign among them. And from them I will send survivors to the nations, to Tarshish, Pool, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. And they shall bring all your brothers from all the nations as an offering to the Lord on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedary. Dromedaries to my holy mountain Jerusalem, says the Lord, just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. And some of them I also will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I, remain, that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worms shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Uh, Lord God, we... Uh, pray again as we come before you, we uh, know as we sang that uh, your presence is here among us uh, as, uh, as it always is in our lives, but especially as we hear from your word, uh, Lord, it is you speaking. You are the one working through your word. As we've said, we have your Holy Spirit within us, your very presence here among us convicting and strengthening your people so we pray that as i preach uh, you would speak and work in this place so that we uh, might seek you as our vision all the days of our life in christ's name amen Uh, well as we've said this morning we're coming uh, this week to our last sermon in the book of isaiah um, and if you've been here for a while and you think back over how Isaiah's gone, it's, it's a bit of a roller coaster, I think, this book. Uh, or maybe uh, if you remember back to uh, Steve's early sermons in 2020 uh, on this book, those of you who have been here that long, uh, he likened it to a pendulum going backwards and forwards, whichever way you think about it. The idea, it's going up and down, backwards and forwards, between joy and judgment, between salvation uh, and conviction, between hope and fear. Uh, if you get the chance this week, I encourage you to read back over the book of Isaiah, uh, or at least uh, the last section, 56 to 66. Uh, it is a long book. Uh, but you'll see how this roller coaster goes up and down, back and forth, uh, through this sort of tonal shift that he keeps taking between the heights of glory and the lows of judgment. And as you read this this book, as you ride the roller coaster, you you sort of start to wonder where is this going to end up? Are we going to go up and stay there? Are we going to have a, a finish with a great vision of hope and joy? Uh, or will it uh, 
go down into the depths of fear and despair, a warning about the consequences of sin. But the more important question, I think, is not just where this book will end up, but where your life will end up. Where is this all going to end up for me? Uh, if you like, what promises of Isaiah should I take away? What, what should I take to heart? Am I going to end on that high? Uh, all those promises of joy and glory being fulfilled forever in me? Uh, or am I doomed to go down into judgment, to fall and fall and crash and burn forever? Where will it end? Well, as we come to the final chapter of the book of Isaiah, what we discover is that it's not one roller coaster going up and down, it's not one pendulum going back and forth, it is in fact two uh, roads. Not like one road of a roller coaster that goes up and down, but two roads, one that goes up and up and up. And, two, and another that goes down and down and down. And this chapter forces you to ask, which road are you on? Uh, this is, as the, as the sermon is entitled, The Final Choice. Uh, verses 1 to 4 outline the choice. What choice have you made? Uh, we see in these verses, these opening verses, two people, two kinds of people. Uh, one person uh, who listens to God and one person who does not. Uh, it's exactly the same distinction that Jesus made in his parable that uh, Lisa read out for us. The wise man who listens to God and the w- foolish man who doesn't. Uh, the first person in verses 1 and 2, who listen, the one who listens to God, does so because he or she knows that God is the creator and ruler of the universe. Uh, look with me again at those verses. Uh, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me and what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. Uh, Such a person knows that God has made the world, that he has made heaven and earth and all that is in them. Uh, This person knows that God is infinitely bigger than we could imagine. He cannot be contained. This person knows that God does not live in a man-made temple. He does not sit on a man-made throne. Rather, God inhabits eternity as Isaiah has already told us. And because this person knows all of that, they are humbled before him, as verse 2 says, this person is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. God is so big and I am so small, says this person, and so I could neither reasonably nor rightly ignore him uh, or oppose him. I must, I can only stand humbly before him, listen to his word 
and cast myself on his mercy and compassion. Uh, This contrasts starkly with the person described in verses 3 and 4. Uh, These people, God says, have chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations. Uh, He he goes on to say, When I called, no one answered. When I spoke, they did not listen, but they they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I did not delight. Uh, Where the humble person says, My God is so big, This person says, my God is myself. My God is myself. No one will tell me uh, what to do. No God, no person will will ever tell me how I should live my life. I will choose my own way. I will do what I want, when I want it, and no one can deprive me of that choice. Uh, this sort of person sounds very familiar, doesn't it? Uh, it's, uh, it seems that there's so much that our culture disagrees on and argues over, but the one thing that we can all agree on is that we should all be our own rulers. We all value personal autonomy, the ability to choose our own way and the freedom to do what we want. No one should ever tell you what you have to do. No one should have authority over you. No one should be stronger than you, we are told. In fact, the the goal and purpose of leaders and of those with authority is to do just enough to protect my freedom and then get out of the way so that I can do what I want. Because, of course, autonomy only lasts as long as there's no one with more power, no one bigger or stronger or more authoritative than me. This then becomes our culture's greatest fear, something bigger and stronger that I, than me that I can't resist. I think this comes out a lot in sci-fi movies, uh, that there's often this, this sense that uh, there's something bigger out there, uh, some sort of alien race or something that uh, is hell-bent on taking over the world and enslaving the human race. And the fear is, of course, that we, can't, that we won't be able to stop such a force. Except it's not science fiction, is it? It's religious truth. There is, in fact, something out there that is bigger than all of us that will hold us to account for our disobedience, our failure to listen. But it's not an alien race. It is God Almighty. God is bigger than us, certainly stronger than us, and able to shatter any false sense of autonomy that we might want to gain for ourselves. And he is coming to demand an account for whether or not we have listened to him. 
So I ask again, what choice have you made? Have you made the choice to listen to God and humble yourself before him? Or do you choose your own way to do what is evil in God's eyes? I'm not asking about whether you perfectly obey God, none of us do. But do you at least listen when he tells you to do something? When God says, don't be angry, do you listen and tremble and recognize that you are prone to anger? Or do you justify yourself and say that you can't help how you feel? When God says that uh, riches are a snare and that it is easier for a rich person to enter the kingdom, uh, sorry, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven, do you tremble knowing your riches and how much security you find in them? Or do you try and tell yourself that you're not really that rich and that God just... God doesn't really matter too much about about how much we have in our bank balance. It's when God says, "Come to me and find rest," does your heart run to Jesus? Are you moved by His compassion, or do you? Try and work yourself. Do, do you continue to strain yourself in, in an effort to find security and hope in your own efforts? Do you listen to God when he tells, tells you to do something? Do you tremble when you realize that your life doesn't match up with his expectations? And do you seek his mercy? Or do you ignore God and justify yourself when he calls you to account? Do you quiet your conscience when it tells you that you're not matching God's standard? Excuse me. What choice have you made? And secondly, what will be the consequences of that? Uh, that's the focus of the rest of this chapter. What consequences will you face for your choice? For those who listen to God's word, he has a word of comfort. Uh, verse 7 gives an image of childbirth. Without the pain of labor, without the turmoil of labor, without even the waiting of labor... God's promise, is the image there is of the joy of childbirth with no pain. As is so often the case in Isaiah, the she in verse 7 is talking about Mount Zion or Jerusalem as uh, verses 8 and 10 show us. Uh, Or to be precise, in this case it is the new Jerusalem uh, which will come down out of heaven and in which we will live for eternity. Uh, God says uh, that the new Jerusalem will be filled with a multitude of perfect children. A nation brought forth 
in one moment, he says. Uh, God had promised Abraham, Isaac and Jacob uh, that he would multiply their offspring as the stars of heaven. Uh, And in a very real sense, he did. Uh, God made good on that promise over the centuries. Uh, God God made Abraham's descendants into a numerous, prosperous nation. Uh, which lasted some time until they broke his covenant and God exiled them and decimated them until there was only a tiny remnant left. And of course that was not the end of God's faithfulness and you can uh, talk to me all you like about Israel's history until the present day. But I think when God talks about a nation brought forth in one moment... That can only mean one thing. What Paul talks about as the resurrection, the transformation of all God's people in the twinkling of an eye. We will be resurrected with perfect physical bodies that will inhabit eternity, inhabit the great city forever. Uh, The promise for us is that the family of God will be brought together in the new Jerusalem, fully consummated. Elsewhere, Paul talks about the revealing of the sons of God. And so if you long for a home, uh, if you long for a family bound together in joy and love, if you long for a father who loves you, all these things are, are now in part ours and will be fully realized in the new creation when Jesus returns and raises us from mortality. God's assurance in verse 9 gives us certainty of these things. Shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? In other words, all the glorious blessings of the children of God are ready to be consummated when Jesus comes back. They are ours now in part. God cannot, he will not withhold the fullness of these blessings from his people. He will comfort us. Uh, Just as a mother's milk comforts and nourishes her children, so too God will comfort his people in the new Jerusalem, according to verses 11 and 13. There will be comfort and joy for God's people, like an overwhelming flood of his gracious blessings. But by contrast... God will come against those who reject him like a fearsome firestorm. Uh, For behold, verse 15 says, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger in fury. And his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire the Lord will enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh. And those slain by the Lord shall be many. 
And we've already seen in verses 3 and 4 about the people who do what is evil in God's sight, who choose their own ways, that, they, that their deeds are abominations before God. And so, rightly, he will not stand by when he sees evil. He is rightly angry at sin that we can at the sin of humanity. He will not allow moral abominations to go unpunished. He will come in judgment. Uh, we've already had a couple of bushfires over this weekend. And you might imagine yourself standing before a bushfire, the wind buffeting, the embers falling, the air baking, flames towering over you, trees exploding all around you. There is a greater fire coming. If you reject God, if you ignore God, you are standing before a great and terrible bushfire and you haven't got so much as a water pistol to stop the flames that are raging towards you. For by fire the Lord will enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh And those slain by the Lord will be many. These are fearful words. I I wish to God that they were not true. That they were just hypotheticals. Those slain by the Lord will be many. Many people will fall under his judgment. And I pray with tears that you would not be one of them. And all of this so far, whether good or bad, is merely the first second of eternity, as it were. The rest of the chapter describes the eternal state for the, those who listen and those who reject God. Uh, God uh, first describes the eternal state, the eternal experiences of the the promise for his people. Uh, Verses 18 to 21 say there will be a massive gathering of God's people and we are part of that. Even those who had been previously excluded from God's presence, people who were far away from God's people, from God's temple, who had never heard of Yahweh or his way, These outsiders, like you and me, will be brought in from every land and culture of the earth, say verses 19 and 20. More than that, outsiders will become God's priests, says verse 21. What an amazing blessing that is, that even under the old covenant, there were only a select few who were allowed into the presence of God to minister as priests in his temple. David himself 
wrote about how he wished he was one of them. One thing have I asked of the Lord, he said, and that this I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Our other saints of old, the sons of Korah in Psalm 84, say, My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. And for us, for all of God's people, that will be our experience for eternity. The time is coming together, all nations and tongues, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. What a wonderful truth that is. What a joy and privilege it will be to worship in the, in the physical presence of God. Not just in his presence as we are now, with his spirit among us, but before his face. There is no greater joy, no higher calling, no better hope than to be gathered into the presence of God and to remain there for eternity. See, friends, this is what we were made to do, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And we will. We will glorify God. We will enjoy him forever. That is, that he has promised. But for the godless, verse 24 describes the eternal, incomparable horror that eternity will bring. Uh, They, that is God's people, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, And they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Friends, you and I cannot fathom the torment that awaits those who reject God, just as we cannot fathom the joy that awaits those who listen to him. It amazes me, even uh, those with perfected hearts, with uh, godly perspective, Verse 24 says, hell will be an abhorrence to all flesh. The very definition of abhorrence. No one, even with the perspective of eternity, will ever be able to stomach the thought of spending eternity in hell. And that is what this verse describes, eternity in hell, eternal conscious torment. The fire that burns God's enemies will never go out. The worm, the rot that eats them will not be stopped. Their experience of death and the destruction of their flesh will never end. This is a terrible, fearful, terrifying prospect. 
And Christians throughout history have tried to escape this truth or downplay it in some way. It's so unspeakably painful to think about. And yet it is this inescapable truth that the Bible confronts us with. As much as it pains us, as much as it pains me, I must reckon with the fact that for many this is what eternity holds. And I pray again that it does, it is not what eternity holds for you, that you would heed the warning. And this is why it's so important for each, each and every one of us to think carefully about the questions that Isaiah 66 poses. What choice have you made? How do you respond when God speaks to you? Who is in charge of your life? Is it Almighty God, the authority of Christ? Or do you choose who and what and how your life will be like? What choice have you made and what consequences will you face for that crucial choice? Are you on the path that leads to eternal joys, the comfort and joy of God, the comfort and glory of God? Are you on the path that leads to eternal torment at the hand of the judgment and wrath of God? And finally, if you are on that path of judgment, what chance do you have? How can we escape the wrath of God and experience the comfort of God? Uh, Isaiah has already answered this question, so we're going to flick back a few chapters to Isaiah chapter chapter 53. Uh, These glorious verses. Uh, Isaiah 66 tells us that no amount of good works can change your fate. Uh, God spoke about the people who had chosen their own way, uh, and ironically they had tried to do things, it seems, uh, to appease God's wrath. Uh, He They slaughter an ox, they sacrifice a lamb, present a grain offering, make a memorial offering of frankincense, and God calls all of these abominations. God will not accept good works or offerings merely as things that will appease his wrath. God will not accept hypocrisy that arises from a selfish desire to change your fate. Good works will not undo the mess you've made of your life. God knows hypocrisy. He sees the heart. And the selfish heart turns good works into abominations. What you think might appease God only makes him more, only incurs more wrath. And that wrath cannot be appeased by gifts or trinkets. You cannot hope to win God's favour or comfort by your own actions. God gives his his favour as a gift of his gracious pleasure, not as a bribe. Uh, 
God will not be mocked. He will not be bribed or manipulated. He will not change his mind or make exceptions. And yet God wants to see you reconciled to him. You cannot oppose God, appease God's wrath yourself. And yet in this profound mystery that lies at the heart of Christianity, God works to appease his own wrath. The only way for us to escape God's wrath is for uh, someone to is for uh, it to be shielded from us. The only way for us to experience the comfort of God is for someone to mediate it to us. And Isaiah has already told us about someone who does exactly that. Isaiah 53 verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Uh, Verse 10 again, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. It It was the Lord's will to crush him because God's desire is that people be reconciled to him. God wants to make a way for salvation and he has. His soul makes an offering for guilt. Uh, This person in Isaiah 53, who Isaiah calls the servant, the righteous servant, experienced the wrath of God as a substitute for people who have chosen their own way. How is that possible? None of us could appease God's wrath for each other any more than I can appease God's wrath for myself. No human or animal, nothing in all creation... Not even the entire creation would be enough to appease God's wrath or do away with a single sin. How can this servant be an offering for guilt? The answer is because the servant is God himself. Uh, 52.13 introduced us to this servant by saying he is high and lifted up and exalted, which are words that Isaiah used elsewhere to speak of God in his glorious throne. The servant uh, who we know to be Jesus is God himself in human form made him, and he made himself an offering for sin. He became the sacrifice that turns God's wrath away from us and removes our guilt. He is the one who mediates God's good comfort and joy to us. He shares that blessing with the people whom he has saved. Uh, because, as verse, uh, verses 10 to 12 tell us, he received that mercy from the hand of God. See, friends, this is the way that we experience the joy of God, by the servant himself making us righteous in his death. We experience the blessing of God because the servant won the blessing of God. The servant, Jesus Christ, turns turns the wrath of God away from us and mediates the love of God to us. This is the core message of the book of Isaiah. There are two roads, the road of hope and glory which leads up to the mountain of God to the heavenly city, the eternal Jerusalem, 
the everlasting joy of God's presence. And the other road, the road of judgment which leads down away from God's presence to eternal death and misery and shame. Those are the two roads. Now, if you have been put on the road of joy by the work of the servant of Yahweh, if you have been taught by him to listen to the word of God, if your heart has been transformed and renewed and you come to him in humility, then the message of Isaiah 66 is that you should rejoice in comfort and the presence of glory, the promise of glory. But on the other hand, if you have rejected and resisted God, if you have ignored his word and you choose your own way, then you should fear the wrath of God and the choices that your choices incur. So I implore you, repent and believe in Jesus, the servant, the king, the way of salvation. Repent believe, rejoice. Please pray with me as we close. Lord God, we uh, thank you for uh, your word, which is true and which uh, tells us what we need to hear, whether comfort uh, or conviction, Lord. We thank you that your spirit works powerfully through your word and we pray that no one would go from this place without listening to who you are and what you have said. Lord, we pray that no one here would choose their own way but that, they, but that all would submit to the gospel, to the grace, the gracious word that you have given to us that we might find your favour and mercy in humility before you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.